let's pray. Let's ask God for his help. Gracious Father God, please open our eyes, our hearts, our minds and ears to see the truth uh, of your word. Help us not to be just hearers of your word, but doers of your word, that we might have full confidence in Jesus. Help me to speak your word faithfully with conviction and love and clarity. Help me now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, have you ever heard of the website LinkedIn? It's basically Facebook for professional people. It's useful for looking for potential employees or employers, but basically it's also good for comparing yourself to others and feeling good or bad depending on what you find. Anyway, one cool thing about LinkedIn is that you can actually download people's resumes. And anyway, I downloaded Malcolm Turnbull's resume as a PDF. In fact, I've printed it out today. Right? Here it is. Uh, let me read to you the list of his achievements. 29th Prime Minister of Australia, Federal Minister for Communications, Federal Minister for Environment and Water, Opposition Leader, Managing Director of Turnbull and Partners, Investment Company, Oxford University Educated, Rhodes Scholar, Sydney University, Law Degree, Sydney Grammar School. And at the time he became Prime Minister, he was worth $200 million. I mean, that is one impressive resume, isn't it? I mean, an Asian parent would almost be proud of that. <laughs> There's one thing missing, and the Asians say, medical degree, isn't it? That, that's a thing that's missing. But really, that, that's a resume that most people would be confident in. Uh, my LinkedIn profile is a bit emptier than that. Sorry to my Asian mum who comes at 11 a.m. In fact, it's got nothing in it. It got me thinking, though, what, what would I put on my resume for God? What would you put? What things would you have confidence in to, to put there and present to God one day when you meet him? Well, today in Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us what to have confidence in and what not to have confidence in, what you should put on your resume for God and what you shouldn't. Now, there are two points I want to make from the passage today. First, beware confidence in the flesh. And second, value Christ above all. So beware confidence in the flesh and value Christ above all. So firstly, beware. Verse 1. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Now, in the previous passage we looked at last week, Clinton uh, took us through the example of the two godly men, two co-workers in the gospel with Paul, Timothy and Epaphroditus. They were exemplary, Christ-centered servants of the gospel. But in these verses, Paul is warning his readers of what the opposite to these two men look like. And he moves on to a new subject. In addition, he writes, and he introduces the two key points of this section. Firstly, rejoice in the Lord, that is, value Christ Jesus. And secondly, keep safe from, from harm. In other words, beware of threats to your faith. And that's what we're going to unpack first in verse 2. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Wrong picture, sorry. That's my dog, Mochi. Uh, why would you need to beware of a cute little dog like that? 
Of course, dogs in our culture have become a bit domesticated, haven't they? But for Paul and for the Philippians and many cultures still in the world today, dogs are dangerous. They roam the streets. They're threatening. They're scouring for something to devour or destroy. And these are strong words that Paul uses to describe false teachers. He's warning his readers against these false teachers that posed a real threat to the Philippian Christians. They're not sincere, harmless people. They are evil workers, Paul says. Now remember, Paul is a big proponent for unity in the church. And yet here he is using the strongest language possible, speaking against a a group of people who in fact claimed to be very sincere Christians. He calls them mutilators of the flesh, people who cut up the skin of others. Now, that's pretty hard, isn't it? Why does he go so hard? Well, a bit of background. Back in Acts 15, in the early days of Christianity, a council of the apostles and elders at that time met together to answer a very real question, and that is, what do you have to do in order to be a real Christian? Now, this was an important question, particularly for Gentiles or non-Jewish people like you and me, because Christianity had its uh, roots in Judaism. So they were asking, do you have to be Jewish in order to be Christian? Now, some at this council thought so. So Acts 15, verse 5, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. But after much discussion, we're told the Apostle Peter spoke on behalf of the Apostles of Christ with their conclusion. Verse 10, Peter addressed them, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors, that is the Jewish ancestors, have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of of our Lord Jesus, that we are saved just as they are. In in other words, all the Gentiles need to do is to have faith in Christ alone, not faith plus circumcision. In fact, this was true also for the Jews, is what Peter is saying. And yet here is Paul, maybe some 10 to 12 years later, warning the Philippian Christians against the same false teaching. Now, let's look at this false teaching. The Judaizers were people who claimed to be real Christians. And they insisted that Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to be true followers of Jesus. False teachers who said that having faith in Jesus was not enough. You needed faith plus works of the law in order to be righteous with God. In this case, you needed circumcision. Now, if you had both, then you were truly righteous with God. Now, it's quite possible that these Judaizers were roaming around the Philippian church. Uh, In fact, they'd already infiltrated the Galatian church. Paul is quick, though, to reassure the Philippian Christians of their real identity in Christ. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. True Christian faith is where we bring nothing to God except our sin against him, where we have no other option than to throw ourselves 
on the mercy of God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We need to rely on God's mercy for what he has done for us on the cross, paying for our sin, gifting us eternal life, blessing us with the Holy Spirit to live within us, to make us more like Jesus. Paul is saying that is real Christianity. Now, fake Christianity is where you put confidence in yourself. Confidence in your own goodness, confidence in your own ability to perform for God. Now, the Judaizers, they're putting confidence in the flesh. By telling people to get circumcised on top of trusting Jesus, Paul thinks that this actually robs Jesus of the glory that he deserves. Jesus plus circumcision is actually Jesus minus, because you're saying Jesus is not enough. You've got to do something to top it up. Now, Paul does something really interesting to drive home the point against confidence in the flesh. He uses himself as an example, and it's it's a bit like playing poker. He's playing poker with the Judaizers. You want to play the same game? I can play too. If you're betting on circumcision, you know what? I'll call that and I'll raise that. You want to see a true blue Jew? Look at me. Verse 4, although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcision, the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Now here is Paul's LinkedIn resume. Paul could out-Jew any Judaizer. He was the best of the best, top gun. He could tick every external righteousness box. And at one point in his life, he convinced himself that he was doing all this for God. If anyone had good reason to boast himself, it was Paul. And you see, that's the problem, isn't it? It's the boast. It's where your confidence lies. These Judaizers had well and truly infiltrated the Galatian church and they were doing terrible damage to the believers. And towards the end of the letter of the Galatians, Paul compares the boasting of the Judaizers and the boasting of true Christians. Chapter 6, verse 12. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. And the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul is saying Judaizers have several problems. They want to avoid suffering for Christ. And circumcision doesn't even help people keep the law. But at the heart of it, what they wanted is to boast in front of others. They wanted to boast about the people they were converting in the Galatian church, and not for God, but to impress other people. Confidence in the flesh, that is self-confidence, is all about boasting to impress others because God could not care less. God could not care less. What God is looking for is he's looking for your boast in Christ. Your boast in the cross. 
when you boast in yourself, you rob Jesus of glory. Now, let me ask you, what, what is your boast? What is it you put your confidence in? Now, I don't know about you, but I find that most of social media is about the humble brag. You know what that is, don't you? You're trying to appear modest. You're trying to appear humble. But what you're really seeking and posting things about yourselves to others is validation and affirmation for all the, the amazing things you've done. Okay? We want to be valued at the same time we don't want to come across as boastful. I think we should just be honest. It's all about confidence in the flesh, isn't it? Because it's still about me. It's still about how I come across to you. I'm only as good as my last post. I mean, my last boast. And it's not far from any one of us, is it? I was recently at a conference and I uh, was talking to one of the volunteers there and uh, I asked him, what, what do you do? And he said, I'm uh, on a pastoral team in a church, in a church movement that has 10 churches. Now, I actually went to Bible college with his boss, the guy who, who started that church movement. There's just a tinge of jealousy. Because I'm still here. Nothing against you guys. <laughs> I love you guys. Assistant pastor, Bandura Presbyterian Church. That's the only thing on my LinkedIn resume. Just a tinge of jealousy. There's the boast, isn't it? In contrast, I've been blessed to meet some truly humble people in my life. And the thing about them is that they never boast about themselves. They're more interested in others. They never smack of insecurity. They never need to pump themselves up. They never need to regale you with stories of their success. There's this peace about them. They're not chasing after the next achievement. And they don't need to convince you that they're winning at life. And here's their secret. They boast in Christ. In fact, if you spend enough time with them, you can see Christ in them. You see his gentleness. You see his courage. You see his compassion, his sacrificial love. And if you want what they have, you need to look where their confidence lies. Remember, you boast about what you're confident in. It's either yourself or Christ. Well, beware confidence in the flesh, but here's the second point, value Christ above all. And here's two things that Paul values about Christ. The first thing is that he values righteousness from God through Christ. And secondly, he values becoming like Christ in all that he does. Well, let's look at the first one, verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Uh, Paul had that stunning resume of confidence in the flesh. Everything he listed in the verses before, uh, these things made him a standout in his society. I'm sure Jewish parents would have wanted their daughters to marry Paul. And Paul was on the road to Damascus when he met Jesus. And he was on the road to Damascus to do more persecuting, to notch more boastful notches in his belt. Before others and before God, Paul was achieving righteousness, so he thought. And then Jesus changed everything. That religious resume he once put his confidence in was now no better than 
rubbish. Profit had become loss. Circumcision, his Jewish heritage, his external obedience to the law, his training as a Pharisee, all of it like rubbish in the bin because of Jesus. And then Paul increases it to another level of intensity, verse 8. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Paul extends it further. He considers everything a loss. Now think about what confidence in the flesh could have done for Paul. The approval of his family. The status that he could have had in his society. Think about the opportunities he would have had to marry well, to live a comfortable, successful life. You see, for the performance-driven person, you can think that all these gains are some sort of approval from God. God has blessed me, therefore I am in his good books. But all of this could not have given Paul the one thing he needed most, and that was true righteousness with God. You see, the, the problem with religious performance, Paul recognizes that it's about the outside, isn't it? keeping the law on the outside. It was about surface behavior. As much as he thought God's law was on his mind, as much as he tried to keep it, what was happening on the inside was he was sinning and disobeying God. Romans 7, verse 22. For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. It's honest, isn't it? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. You see where it drove Paul to? The one conclusion, I need Jesus. I cannot do this on my own. I cannot perform to please God. Real righteousness from God requires real rescue from sin. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, Paul's former life of external righteousness and confidence in the flesh was now as meaningless to Paul as it was to God. True righteousness comes through faith in Christ. It is a gift from God, not a reward for performance. I love that phrase in verse 9, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Being found in Christ is more about him finding us than it is about us finding him. And that is why Paul can say in verse 8, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. I love that phrase too, the surpassing value. Now let's talk about poo, okay? Now go home, tell your kids that at church this morning we talked about poo. Because it's in the passage, it's in verse 8. Skubala, otherwise translated as unspeakable filth. Now the NIV took a, took a softer translation, calling it garbage. But the CSB, I think, is better. It's dung. It's excrement. It's feces. It's crap. It's poo. 
And this is the conclusion that Paul has reached about his former life. He was like a dung beetle. His life of religious performance and achievement done to impress others and God was nothing more than accumulating a great big ball of filth compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. The surpassing value of knowing the righteousness that Christ brings to me as a gift. Uh, Jesus once taught that the kingdom of God is like a priceless pearl. A pearl of such great value that once you find it, everything else pales into comparison. Everything you once treasured, you would be willing to discard in a heartbeat in order to gain this pearl of surpassing value. And Jesus is that priceless pearl. And for the Apostle Paul, he lost everything. Uh, He was persecuted. He was chased out of towns. He lost his financial security, the status he once had as a Pharisee. But he gained the priceless pearl. That leaves us with a choice, doesn't it? Which are you going to choose? The poo or the pearl? Why do you come to church? Uh, Is it just about ticking off the list of errands, buying bread, buying milk, going to church? Uh, Is it maybe to cancel out the bad things you did this week? Maybe it's to get the pastors off your back. Maybe you come to church so that you don't appear as a hypocrite in front of your kids. Any reason that is about you and not about Jesus, well, that's confidence in the flesh, isn't it? And you know what that amounts to, don't you? Poo. I'm going to see how many times I can say poo. (laughs) But if you come to church because of Jesus, there's the pearl, isn't it? Because I'm so thankful that he saved me and he wants me to be part of a church. I come to church because I get to spend time with the other people that Jesus has saved. And I serve at church because... I want to be a blessing to Jesus and his people. I want to learn more about Jesus from God's word. There's the pearl, isn't it? And yet we we like to hold on to poo, don't we? I mean, not literally. It's not only the religious achievements that we cling to, isn't it? Think about the sin that you cling to and, and can't let go of. You know that burning anger against that person that you refuse to forgive? That's sin. You know that selfish greed where you're so consumed about what you need and want rather than the needs of others? Think about the lust that grips you, that you you think you cannot live without. And sometimes it would seem that we're willing to hold on to that poo all the way to hell. Imagine one day after your death, you, you, there you are, you're standing in front of God, you're trying to give an account for your life, and there you are trying to convince God of how good you are, except all he can see is poo-stained hands, clinging to worthless religious achievements and the sin that cannot satisfy. Only the pearl can satisfy. Value righteousness from God through faith in Christ. 
Paul knows that he already has this righteousness. But that's not enough for Paul because Paul wants to know and value Jesus even deeper. He values Christ above all by wanting to become like Christ. Look at verse 10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now, Paul, earlier in this book, he's already said that for him to die is gain because then he will depart and be with Christ. And if being with Christ is Paul's final destination, then knowing Christ better is now the goal until he reaches that destination. Now, it's not just an intellectual understanding of Jesus that Paul wants. He wants an intimate relationship with Jesus, to know Jesus in such a way that he becomes like Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is what Paul wants to drive his life forward. The suffering that Jesus undertook for others is the suffering that Paul is willing to suffer for others and share in with Jesus, which he's doing right now, even as he writes his letter in prison for the sake of Jesus. Paul is even willing to die like his saviour, knowing that because of his union with Jesus, one day he will be raised to new life with Jesus in heaven. After all, to live is Christ and to die is gain by being with Christ. In other words, Jesus means everything to Paul, doesn't he? In life, in death, in life after death, Jesus means everything to Paul. So let me ask you, what does Jesus mean to you? Uh, in 1996, a humble fisherman from the island of Palawan in the Philippines was in his boat. His anchor snagged on something heavy, and he discovered that the snag was a giant clam that's quite common in the area, but what was inside was not common. He discovered a 34-kilogram pearl, 30 centimetres by 60 centimetres, and it's now been recognized as the world's largest pearl. And the fisherman, not realizing what it was worth, took it home and continued to live in his small thatched hut. And for 10 years, he kept it hidden under his bed as a good luck charm. When he was moving house, he asked his aunt Cynthia to look after it. And Cynthia was shocked when she saw it. Uh, Cynthia also happened to be the tourism official for the city of Puerto Princesa. And she said to him it was pointless to hide it as they didn't know its value. And so the pearl was displayed in City Hall for everyone to see. And this is what the South China Morning Post said. Puerto Princesa, city information officer, Rigid Lagarde confirmed Cynthia Amuro's account and said the man who found it could be in for a massive change in his life's fortunes. What do you think it's worth? Have a guess. According to Forbes, the pearl is valued at $100 million. That is life-changing treasure, isn't it? And what gets me is for 10 years, it just kept hidden under the bed because he had no real idea of what it was worth. And that is what we often do to Jesus, isn't it? He is of surpassing value, and yet his hidden away is somewhere in our lives. Sometimes you'd have to look really closely to see him. 
hidden away until Sunday, tucked away whenever we need to shoot up a prayer for good luck, maybe call on him to remove a bit of guilt and shame. So many other things seem more important than Jesus. And so let me ask you again, what does Jesus mean to you? Aunt Cynthia was right. It's pointless to hide the priceless pearl. Find out what it means to you and find out what it means to the world. I'm going to give you some homework. I made a list of what Jesus means to us from Scripture. Now, I've put the references there. You can take a photo of it if you don't have a transcript. I want you to go home and I want you to look up those references and I want you to meditate on that question, what does Jesus mean to you? Jesus is my redeemer, my Lord, my groom, my friend, my shepherd, my co-heir, my ever-present help, my first love, my co-sufferer, my treasure, my prize. Meditate on Jesus until you can answer that question, what does Jesus mean to you? You know, I can tell you what Emma my wonderful wife of 25 years means to me. 25 years this year. It's amazing she stayed with me. 25 years. Now, I should be able to tell you without hesitation what Emma means to me. As a mother, as a friend, as a lover, as a co-parent. I should be able to tell you in an instant what Jesus means to me because Jesus is of surpassing value, even more precious than my dear wife. In a moment, we're going to sing these words, the end of the service. If you know Jesus, sing them like you mean them. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. Let me pray. Gracious Father God, We thank you for Jesus, that he is of surpassing value. Father, please spare us from boasting in ourselves. Help us to see that true confidence is confidence in Christ. Help us to treasure the pearl of surpassing value that we have right now, knowing that we can stand before you forgiven, holy, blameless, righteous, And help us to live lives striving to become like Jesus, where he means more to us than anything and anyone else. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.